Find Your Faith with the Find Your Faith podcast. totally regret trying to have this conversation after uh, dropping my husband Graham off at the airport at four o'clock in the morning. Um, So I've had a very early start and I'm probably going to slur all my words together but in some ways I find that this um, fatigue kind of brings a peacefulness and, and maybe that's a really lovely prelude into this conversation because today I really wanted to share with you the adventure that I just came back from in the French Pyrenees. I've just uh, returned from running 700 kilometers from the Atlantic coastline to the Mediterranean coastline, a traverse that took me 19 days and covered about 42,000 meters of vertical climb. And when I, when I think about that and I try and put that in perspective, all I can think of is like, holy moly, that's like 40 times up Mount Wellington, uh, which is the mountain that sits behind Hobart and one that I live on the slopes of. So when I think about it like that, I even think about it now, I'm just like, I don't even really know how I did that. So today's conversation is really just um, sharing with you, and I haven't got notes in front of me, so if I ramble, I apologize, but sharing with you the true beauty of that adventure and all the lessons that kind of went into, um, into I guess, reaching the Mediterranean and stripping off to my underwear on a French beach and going for a dip in the ocean. So here we go. This goal for me wasn't really a goal, it was a dream. And it started when we were in the French Pyrenees over a year ago now with another tour. We had um, 10 wonderful people, nine women, one male. Felt pretty sorry for the the, uh, sole male in a group of giggling girls, but we had a a really fabulous trip there. And part of the runs that we were doing with a group were on this trail called the GR10. And I didn't really know a lot about it. I mean, I had a girlfriend who has walked the the full length of the Hort route, so the the very high route that transverses all the different mountains across the the Pyrenees from the Atlantic, so think England, down to the Mediterranean, so think Morocco. And um, yet the GR10, it, it stayed a bit lower on the French side, and it turns out it actually traverses the same the same length, so Atlantic to the Mediterranean, but hugging on, on the French side. And it because it's a bit lower, I mean, you go right up into the, the huge high mountains, but then every night you drop down again back into the valleys. So it sort of goes up and down through these glaciated valleys. And the bits that we ran on um, were absolutely stunning and really beautiful underfoot and just lovely running. So I sort of had this image of... Um, and naively, and this is my normal way, is never to overlook into things, never to overread and overanalyze. But um, I just had this picture of this trail, just sort of meandering gently up, gently down, smooth underfoot, green, grassy, think, you know, the sound of music. And, and that's what the trail was going to be like. And so I sort of began to dream about this beautiful sound of music adventure through the Pyrenees and, and could I do it? And I was sort of really eager I knew in my heart there was, in fact, it wasn't even my heart, it was in my mind's eye, this 
this need to kind of chew on something. I, I had this vision of, of myself and it wasn't quite where I was in place or time towards the end of last year. I just, I felt like, I felt like it gone a bit squishy and I don't mean that in a body image, you know, necessarily. I just, I felt like I'd, I'd lost my edge, a bit like a knife that <laughs> had blunted a little. And so this goal, this dream just came, kind of kept coming back to me, like maybe next year I should try and run the Pyrenees. Maybe, 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 maybe. And then I broke my foot. <laughs> and as soon as I broke my foot or as soon as I ended up, you know, in a, on crutches and in a moon boot hobbling around, I knew in my heart that I needed something that was going to keep my fuel alive, that was going to keep driving me forward. Because even though I talked about previously on the podcast how I use that time for this amazing self-growth phase and self-discovery phase, I knew that I needed this little seed to kind of grow towards or like the sun that I was growing upwards towards and giving me energy to kind of keep photosynthesizing playfulness and um so the Pyrenees became it and I decided that I would book my flights and I'd set three weeks aside for this adventure straight after two of our tours which we did um and we just got back from that as well um Italy and Albania when my foot started to not get better I realized that well I believed that this goal was too far beyond my reach like I was barely able to go for like a 5k run without getting foot pain or a 10k run without foot pain. There was seemed to be one pair of shoes that I could run in and one pair of shoes that I could walk around the house in and all the rest of the time I seemed to have this dull ache and discomfort in my foot and I thought you know there's no way that I can go and run 700 kilometers in a three-week period which effectively is nearly a marathon a day um, on average and um I remember the exact moment that I had that realization and Graham and I were chatting about like what are we going to do you know when we're going away are we going to do the Pyrenees and I think without even uttering a word we looked at one another he came towards me he wrapped his arms around me and I burst into tears and it was like this huge bubble this big dream had been crushed and dissolved away. So I think because neither of us quite knew how to like set another adventure in Europe for three weeks that would live up to the expectations of the Pyrenees, we um we had nothing planned. Like we had all sorts of weird and wacky ideas. Like maybe we'll cycle to maybe we'll do this. And it wasn't until like the day before we were due to leave Tirana in Albania at the end of our tour there and embark on this three-week holiday together and which we hadn't had for about seven years we just have not had a holiday that hasn't involved some kind of work um, we still had no plan but the thing was that this seed of the Pyrenees never left me I could feel it always in my gut and even when I was trying to think up 
what it would be like to cycle through Italy, the Pyrenees would just kind of metamorphize into the back of my brain and it would it would start sprouting and it would I could feel its roots digging into me and into my heart and and so in the end we went, you know what, bugger it. Uh, the foot had been pretty good. Not perfect, but pretty good. Um, we didn't bring enough gear or sports nutrition and my shoes were completely dead I had no idea what I was going to wear for the next three weeks and and I didn't really have any of the stuff that I probably had dreamt of using in the Pyrenees but we thought bugger it we're going to go anyway so we booked a flight that went via Italy to Portugal and in Lisbon with an hour to spare until our next flight towards Bilbao in Spain we um we did a James Bond taxi moment. We ran out of the airport and flagged down a taxi, jumped in it, and a seven-minute taxi ride down to uh, the local running store. Managed to find a pair of shoes that was one pair in my size, and we grabbed them and back onto the um, into the taxi and bundled back to the airport, and with about 15 minutes to spare, we caught our flight to Spain. So I had brand-new shoes, and... Uh, and then literally all we had with us was these tiny little vest packs that contained basically um, my bathers, uh, a pair of shorts that I could sleep in and a singlet. Um, we had a few leftover tubes of electrolyte from the trips and we'd scrounged a few off a couple of other guests. I had um, two, spare, two pairs of socks, a phone, oh, and we had a jet boil, uh, like a little camping stove so that we could boil water and of which we still had to find gas. And that was pretty much it. Uh, so it was pretty comical, like a weird feeling getting on all these international flights with literally like dressed in your running clothes and running shoes and a little vest pack. But anyway, it was super cool because the dream had gone from me running the length of the Pyrenees to actually Graham and I both having a go and that we would sort of lightweight run, hike, I guess you call it fast pack as far as we could. But, uh, a couple of days into into the experience, like having a heat wave, another heat wave, yet yeah, another one, uh, sweep through Europe, we both realised that we weren't really being true to ourselves, and you could feel it because it, it felt it felt mechanical. It it felt a bit heavy, like we were having fun, but you could feel yourself like fighting the weight of the pack, even though the pack wasn't that big. Um, it felt like if we were to keep doing this, it would become a job. And we didn't want to have a job. That wasn't part of the plan. And so on day two, Graham decided that he, he didn't want to keep going. And I remember the moment because we were standing up on this hill, looking down over this beautiful Basque country of France thinking what do I do for me probably my greatest Achilles heel in all of my life has been a and or the emo, the emotion of guilt and as I've come to learn like guilt really stems from love um I don't know why I've been so wrapped in a little like silver foil of guilt for most of my life and it and it's never to do necessarily with shoulds from other people but it comes from me always 
wanting or finding it really hard to put myself first. And and I hope that other listeners will, will resonate with that because for me, I always felt guilty if I did something for myself that didn't mean I could pay it forward or include someone else. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I, I just know that it was coming from a place of absolute love. And in this moment, the guilt was thinking, this is the first holiday. This is kind of a honeymoon that Graham and I have had in six years. And I'm out here thinking, I actually just want to run the length of the Pyrenees, which for almost every, well, for every single day of that would be at least half a day, if not a full day out on the trails. I'm dragging him out of bed at four in the morning on the days we want to start, you know, before the heat of the day, Um, him driving to meet me at random points beside cow barns and ponds and up the depths of valleys where he was um, thinking he was going to get sort of mowed down by some little truck on a single lane road to the middle of nowhere and to put all that on him and to to not just spend this holiday next to him was like hard for me to wrap my head around and and so like in that exact moment though and bless him and I I love him unconditionally not just for supporting me in this adventure we decided to or he 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 agreed that he would love to support me to to continue the adventure no matter whether it took me one more day or five more days or halfway or to the finish it it really didn't matter it was more about not wanting to not wanting to end in that moment and knowing in the heart of my heart that no matter how difficult it was and uncomfortable I was in that moment I really wanted to be out there and to continue on so we backtracked and we, we went all the way back to um, by, via a number of random local buses all the way back to uh, Bay Ritz and we hired a little car, which in itself was pretty comical because normally when you're setting out on a on a long trip to somewhere and, and going to be um, you know in mountainous environments, you, you generally go fairly well prepared, you know, with big suitcases or duffel bags or roller wheels or whatever you travel with. But um, in our scenario, we literally just threw these two tiny vest bags in the back of this car um, and beelined back towards the mountains. Um, we found a cardboard box a bit later in the trip and that became like our sort of suitcase of food. Um, we stopped at a supermarket and bought two teaspoons and a sharp knife, all for the measly sum of about five Australian dollars. And that became our fork, knife, spoon. Um, and we never even bothered with plates in the end. We would just um, find a piece of paper or, you know, the back of the bread bag. And, and we literally just travelled in this ridiculously lightweight scenario so it was um it was really interesting to uh, end up back at the foot of these mountains and never having really been through most of it um not really knowing what the hell I was getting myself into um and really on the fringes of the big mountains to to find myself lying in bed thinking just lean in Han just lean in because I think that's pretty much it. Like, you have the opportunity in life. Like, I think every day, you know, it should throw challenges at you in some, whether it's some little 
challenge of remaining patient in a challenging moment or you are really challenged by something that you're working on or something going on in in your home life or you know the little challenge that you experience out on a training run in the morning but um I will kind of believe now that you really have the opportunity to lean in or lean out and I lay there meditating in bed and and I just heard my head just saying just lean in just lean in just lean in Han and so the challenge getting out the next day was that um when I woke it was it was raining it was the only one of the only day oh actually there were two days of rain but but for now this was like pretty rare like to have seen rain in in the whole time we've been in Europe and so I sort of rolled out of bed and onto these legs that were just screaming at me um already I was only like a few two days through this was day three so it was like two days of sort of marathon length running in and um my legs felt so so sore and so heavy from all these downhill especially um and I just was thinking I don't know how I'm gonna do this and it was raining and dark and we drove over to the start um back to the start of the track section and there was this like gushing waterfall coming down and it was all misty and the track was just rooty and gnarly and rocky and we started walking up and I think Graham could sense I'm sure it was an, an energy I was giving off like of doubt and um he just took my hand in the peace of the moment and gave it a squeeze he didn't even say anything and in that moment I knew I knew in that moment that I was ready and that he was ready and that we were going to give this thing a damn good crack in fact I reckon if I'm completely honest with myself in that moment I knew that I would see the Mediterranean and I was on day three so it was it was a really interesting um, experience because as, as I read in a quote, um, we fight to hold on and we fight to let go. And I think I did both and then I let go. But the funny thing was like, if I look at the first two days of the trip, it was completely about the physical. I, I felt like like a little wooden soldier, like marching, marching through the Pyrenees on a, on a journey. So excited, but physically you know I'm I'm on a journey and then on day three it became very mental it became very like well now that I'm here how much am I going to eat and when am I going to eat and how much water should I take and what would do I take my raincoat today and what time do I think I'll do this and how far have I got to go in kilometers and it was it was very 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 mental and I mean it served me I, I absolutely thrived out there from day four to day seven I I think like I was um I felt very organized and very prepared for the trail um I was using my phone to navigate so there's this awesome app called maps.me and um and we had the the gps of the track marked so I was able to use that to sort of correct myself and and at times I had to do that um but I think like even through that time like every day you know I had a couple of really really tough days where I thought that I'd, you know, be out there for six hours and six hours became nine hours and I sweat a lot as as you probably all know already and super hot and oh my god, like yeah, just getting to the end of this day and just thinking I do not know how I'm gonna get up again tomorrow. But 
every day I got out of bed, like I could feel this body just getting stronger. And I, I don't know where it was coming from because like marathon after marathon, after marathon with, you know, thousands and thousands of vertical meters climb. Like I was just like, I just, it's, it's just not going to be possible. But, but every day, you know, sure enough, I'd get up and I'd take one ginger step towards the, the jet ball to make my cup of tea. And, and amazingly, like just started to, to work. And I think kind of why one of the, when I think now about like what was it like what was it that allowed me to recover in such a way that I've never experienced before I think there were two reasons no actually I think there were three the first one is that I think when you take away the stress of life you know because we'd gone so lightweight I'd, I'd had to leave my laptop back in Italy and I'd had to leave all of my work stuff that I just turned off stressors you know even positive ones like you know even responsibilities to family like no one really knew where we were at all and um and there was something very liberating about that and I think without the cortisol rushing through my body I was able to like physically really recover I think the second reason why um I felt like I was recovering so so well was that I just damn well wanted to be there you know I just I was and I, and I had no pressure. I had no expectation. I didn't, I didn't even really care if I made it to the Mediterranean. In fact, I didn't even care if I, if I only had one or two more days on the trail in me, but for as long as I was loving it, like that's where I wanted to be. And I think that positivity, um, and, and kindness and compassion to myself, even in the way I moved on the trail felt more compassionate than, than what I'd experienced when you just go on a one day mission at home. And so I think, I think that really helped. Um, and I think the other thing which was really eye opening to me was that I did a lot of meditation and I did, I would like lie in bed at night after like reading my book and, and chatting with Graham and sharing a highlight to the day and having that last goodnight hug. But like I would then lie there in the moment and just try and bring myself to the absolute present and find gratitude for like the experiences that I'd had um, to feel every muscle fiber just talking to me and then releasing, telling me what it wanted me to listen to and then releasing and and then I'd fall into this like super heavy sleep, uh, mind you, with wacky dreams, like every night wacky dreams. So I don't know where they were coming from. Um, and then I'd wake up in the morning and I'd just be like feeling so ready for the day. And that was super cool. So like maybe something that we can all sort of have a go at is this concept of like, you know, if you imagine you, you when you go for a massage, like you dig your fingers in and you like, you try and release the muscle by telling it to release. Well, I guess I was like mentally massaging my muscles and, and telling them that I was hearing them and that I knew that I knew they'd done so well and that they were talking to me, but like now it was time to relax and I'd get up in the morning and felt like I had a massage. It was very powerful. Um, I think as I was saying though, like I'd gone from like a really physical state on the trail to a very mental state on the trail but after week one passed it became a very emotional state on the trail um I started to feel like I don't know like um one minute I'd be exuberantly happy and and like a little kid in a lolly shop moment and skinny dipping in a lake that I'd found and 
whooping down a hill and kicking up all the leaves from the deciduous trees. And then the next minute I'd feel really, really like um, low and contemplative and meditative. And then I'd, I'd feel fear, like real anxiety about this big section that was going to come up and I was going to be really alone on it and it was going to be really remote and what would happen out there if something went wrong and and then suddenly I'd feel real strength in myself and like you know um so the journey kind of became more emotional for a period of time and um and very uh thoughtful but not from a mental place and then it was bizarre because that passed and the physical discomfort had passed and I was now in this like really great space to suddenly finding this absolute peace in the last week like absolute there is no other place on the planet that I want to be um and I guess I in some ways I'd reached that spiritual place uh like I, I guess you've transcended into this place that you can really only go I think if you've pushed through all the other the other not obstacles but other um other walls other doors you know the physical door the mental door the emotional door and then I think I finally reached the what I what I call for myself the the spiritual door and it was a time when my mind was very very quiet when I was out there like I still had all the planning and the preparation but it was so quiet and I think one thing that really helped me to get through that last door was that at one point um I I made it I remember even saying to Graham like it's looking like a bit threatening today and we haven't really had a lot of rain and do you think that I should put my phone in a in a bag if it rains just in case it rains and uh, do you think I should take a, like a thermal as well as my raincoat? And we're both like, we're like, nah, we probably got really blase because we just had like so much warm weather. Nah, nah, she'll be right. She'll be right. Um, so I set off and I, I literally ended up in the most extreme thunderstorm I have ever been in my entire life. And I was crossing these totally barren like mountain passes at, you know 2,000 meters above sea level and I am the tallest thing for a million miles and there is bolts of lightning and it's misty and the thunder's like right overhead and the rain is teeming down and sure enough I killed my phone so from that moment on with about I think it probably had about six seven days to go of, of the um journey at that point I didn't have a phone so I couldn't contact any I, I couldn't reach anyone unless I met someone on the trail and could um, get help from them and my ma- my phone was also my map so I had no map um, so I had to like spend the evenings like looking at the map and studying them and like memorizing them and then going out on the trail and just trusting my what had now become like fairly intimate knowledge of the landscape and the way the trails were marked and and relying on this memory of of where I was going um and I think that forced me to step up even more than than I probably would have if, if my phone had still been alive and it also forced me to like forgo emails um couldn't be contacted by anyone no one knew where we were and it, it, it just moved into this like oh I don't know like a, a bubble of 
of an experience like it was super cool um and I, the thing about the Pyrenees that completely surprised me was that my sound and music adventure that I had expected, like this grassy, meandering trail interspersed with little mountain villages and, and quiet little back roads that I'd be running on, it like it was it was bollocks. Um, <laughs> there were like fleeting moments of, of beauty like that, and then the rest of the time was just gnarly and rocky, and every day was like at least once up Mount Wellington, if not twice up Mount Wellington, you know, up to 2,500 metres of vertical climbing at any given climb and then down the other side and then up the other side and, um, yeah, boulder hopping and um, scree. One point there was just not a blade of vegetation and the next minute you're pushing through bracken and gorse and it, it just will... It honestly was just like nothing like what I expected. Um, But I think like that just, yeah, I think that just kind of made it because um, I I think in some ways, again, like that probably helped me to just traverse those doors because, you know, I'd be angry with it at one moment and then I'd be scared of it the next moment and then I'd feel sad because it would, I'd think it was defeating me and then I'd lean in again and I'd rally and I'd get this euphoric determination that I could do it and and then I'd feel even more euphoria at the end of the day when I finished and then that would lift me into the next day and and then yeah eventually I think I got to that place of transcending all of that and reaching this place where I just let go and I, I just I stopped fighting it and and just accepted the landscape for what it was and and every day then I mean every day of that trail was like so uniquely different um and the final massive challenge and I'm nearly there so I won't I won't go from too much longer but I but the massive final challenge was this this mountain um Mount Kanagu which sits quite isolated almost from the rest of the Pyrenees and it it really is like the last massive mountain before you you pop down towards the Mediterranean coastline and it goes up to like 2,900 meters um and this day I set out it, it was it was pitch black it was the day after I broke my phone so um I I was on my own out there and we started really early in the morning because this day was like 40, I think it was 47 kilometres I had to traverse because there were no other stops. There was no places that Graham could really get to me until at least 40 kilometre mark. Um, so I had a 40k day. I had to, to get up to 2,900 metres. And when I got up there, not only was it really cold, but there was this extremely strong wind blowing. Like I've never been in wind like it to the point when I was on this like knife-like ridge. It was completely barren. So there's, there's not a blade of vegetation. So this wind would whip in off the plains of France and then sweep up over this, this uh, spur and it would hit me. And I had to crawl on my hands and knees for a portion of this ridgeline because it was so strong. I, I was literally going to get blown off this mountain, which is completely bizarre because by the time I got down and, and bumped into Graham, who'd run up to meet me, it was like 30-something degrees, um, not a cloud in the sky, completely calm because we were down like lower on the mountain slopes protected by the trees and, and the valleys. And it was kind of like comical, but... um. You know, that day on paper just 
terrified the bejesus out of me. And um, it ended up becoming pretty much one of the highlights of the trip. So, yeah, so the final big mountain push, and I, I remember this, the emotion really um, really hit me, actually, because when I crested that mountain was the first time I saw the Mediterranean Ocean. And uh, it kind of looks so far and yet so far away. But uh, I knew in that moment, like, I was going to get there. So um, when I got to, like, the Mediterranean in the, in the very end, um, you know, having not only had the most amazing days on the trail, but also some incredible hospitality from locals in the area. You know, each night we'd stay in little jeeps and farm stays and the occasional sort of ski, I don't know what you call it, like ski apartment, self-contained apartment. And and then running down off the last mountain through the, the olive trees and the the vineyards and seeing the terracotta roofs of like the towns and you know every town changed because of like the different rock types but in the Mediterranean every, everything's terracotta and it was so picture perfect it was a beautiful blue sky day I'd had in my mind of this like white sandy beach and really warm water and I was just going to float around on my back like staring at the sky and when I got there it was this like rubbly gray rocky beach and the water was freezing like Tasmanian cold um so it certainly wasn't playing on my back but I just I can't even put words to like what I felt but like I didn't feel anything I kind of felt like I should cry or high five or um laugh or I don't know, I just had this absolute peace peace in myself. Um, and I was euphoric, but I was like so peaceful. And it stayed like that, and it has stayed like that. It, it actually hasn't changed. I mean, I feel like a different person, and I don't know why. And I, I'm not saying that just because I ran 700K in 19 days and this through the Pyrenees that wow, look at me. It's not that. It's just, I just think that I let go. I let go of guilt. I, I breached limitations that I had put in my head about what I was capable of. I found a place to trust myself. I found a new level of love in my relationship that brings tears and goosebumps to me um I realize that I am my absolute best self when I listen to my to the I guess the calling that like is coming from within me to the yearnings to the the seeds of growth and and even just today I was working with a client who wants to set like a big meaty goal and and had some ideas and and she said like how do I know how do I know if this is the right goal and I'm like because your soul will tell you you will it'll be that gnawing seed that never went away you know it'll I call it it'll make your toes tingle and you'll know you will know but I think that so many of us don't 
let go of our shoulds and let go of our guilt and let go of our fears and our anxieties and our thoughts that we need to kind of live life by the textbook when sometimes the textbook just has a bloody error in it and sometimes you just need to shut the textbook and make up the rules for a moment and sometimes it's when you make up the rules that you realize there aren't any rules and I think that's probably what I learned on this journey that yeah that traversing these mountains kind of became like traversing my own mountains and I reached the other side and I realized I'm still the same honey but but I'm also I'd also like found another side of honey and that was pretty cool um and I brought that person home and I'm I'm really proud of that person and I I love that person in my relationship and I love that person in my team at work and I love that person when I'm just sitting quietly at home in my house and when I'm just rambling on a podcast with you (laughs) and I'm not embarrassed to say that and I don't believe that I have an ego in saying that it's just like I'm cool I'm cool with being me um so yeah that's the Pyrenees um I guess the the motto of the story is like don't be afraid to dream don't be afraid to be afraid and don't be afraid to lean in when you are and when maybe it would be easier just to lean out because sometimes when you lean in and you keep leaning in and you keep leaning in and you keep leaning in you fall down an Alice in Wonderland hole and you find a whole nother world like waiting for you and that is pretty cool yeah I think that's my ramble I'm done (laughs) Uh, I'd love to hear from you all Uh, I feel that I'm curious to know who's listening like I'm really like I'm really genuinely genuinely asking you to reach out whether it's on social or whether you can take the time to drop me an email and um I'm curious to know who's listening and what you really want to hear more of because there are so many extraordinary people out there with like amazing stories and um, and I'm kind of curious to know if and whom you want to listen to. (laughs) So let's call that a day and I'm wishing you all the very best. I hope you're out playing wilder and until next time, this is Honey on the Find Your Feet podcast. (laughs) 